The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, Tony Macia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today's podcast is part of a special series we're doing in which we interview winners of the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Awards. The recipients are people ages 40 and up who are making a big difference in the Charlotte area, people who saw a need and took action. The winners are chosen by an impartial panel of independent judges. We accept nominations in January and celebrate the winners in an in-person event in April. You can find out more about all of that at ledger40over40.com. The host of today's podcast is Steve Dunn. In his day job, he's a mediator who offers dispute resolution services through the Charlotte Office of Miles Mediation and Arbitration. Enjoy. Welcome to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. I am Steve Dunn. I'm joined today by Kimbo Bohannon as part of our series of conversations with winners of the Ledger's 40 Over 40 Award. Welcome, Kimbo. Thank you, Steve, and it's a pleasure to be here today. You are the founder of Buddy Mentor Charlotte. What is the work that Buddy Mentor Charlotte does? So Buddy Mentor is a incorporated 501c3. It is a mentoring program that I started back in 1994 when I was a educator in an underserved community in Connecticut. And I was looking at all the students that I had in front of me. As a phys ed teacher, I had over 500 students throughout the course of a week. And I was looking at my students and I was thinking that they had such great need, so much more than I could provide. And what I needed was resources. And so one resource that I knew I had was friends, friends from church, friends from my community, friends from my neighborhood. And so in 1994, I went to a facility and asked them if we could meet there once a month for free. And they said, we're open. That's fine. Come on in. And I asked eight friends. We mentored eight kids that I taught. And they are my kids. They're not just my students. They're my kids. And we mentored them one-on-one for an entire year for two and a half hours. And we literally were just kind of flying by the edge of our seat there, you know, edge of our pants, and really had no organization. Just kind of being together is what it was. But the next year, we grew to 16 one-on-ones. And then the third year, we grew to 32 one-on-ones. And so we clearly needed to pump the brakes and figure out exactly what we were doing. And so we structured the program more, all these children being in elementary school, that for the first 30 minutes, we had lunch together. Then we would have swimming lessons for an hour. And then we would put them in a program where they focused on a task with their mentor that they necessarily could not do by themselves. But with the, with the assistance of an adult mentor, they could successfully complete this project in an hour and have something in front of them that they spent time on. They could take home and say, look what I've done. And so these children have been in the program since elementary school, but then they became middle schoolers. And now what do we do? So we decided that we would keep them in the program because when they became ninth graders, we wanted them to learn how to mentor. So their adult mentor now trained them to learn how to be a mentor. And they would get their own little buddy that was five or six years old, and they would stay with them all the way through high school. And then when these older buddies graduated at 12th grade, we would give them a $6,000 college scholarship for any type of continuing education, whether it was a job corps or community college or EMT school, nursing school, undergrad degrees, whatever it should be. And so when I moved to Charlotte in 2012, Well, the program continued for some period of time, right, in Connecticut? It still does. 
Oh, it's still going. It's and, still going. And has it grown from the 32 or did you keep it at a certain we size? We maxed out at 130. Wow. Total participants. So about 65 one-on-ones. Is each mentor paired up with the same student throughout? Like do they, they start when the the kid <laughs> yeah. is young and then they, they stay together? And they stay together all the way through their high school career. And the mentors are, uh, they were your friends to start, right? So there's adults. Are they now all sort of high school age students who become mentors when they graduate up out of the buddy portion of the program? Some of them have gone on to college, you know, out of state. Some of them have stayed in state in Connecticut and continued to participate in the program. And a number of them are on the board of directors, actually. And how much have you stayed in touch with the folks in Connecticut and what's going on there? I'm still on the board. Yeah. So we still have board meetings and I still go up. The program has, with COVID, again, it kind of hit the program up there a little bit. So they're kind of in a start over mode and they're at about 25 participants up there. Has the format remained the same with lunch and then swimming and then a project? Here in Charlotte? Well, I just, just either, both places. I wonder if you continued to iterate on the, on the programming as the years went by. The program still remains the same in Connecticut. It is different here in Charlotte because of the lack of a pool. (laughs) Well, there are pools. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. So at some point you moved to Charlotte. What brought you to Charlotte? I was in a long distance relationship and did that for two years and was closer to retirement than my spouse at the time now. So I retired and moved. All right. And and so here you are. And when, I'm sorry, when did you come to Charlotte? I moved to Charlotte in July of 2012. And how soon after that did, did you get, did you always intend to get Buddy Mentor started in Charlotte? I'm a big uh, be still and wait and listen to what I'm supposed to do, especially in a, new, in a new place. So I kept getting poked to start Buddy Mentor here. And so in the summer of 2014, we started Buddy Mentor, and it started a chapter here in Charlotte. How did you get it started? That's a really good question, because I'm no longer teaching here in Charlotte, so how do I find those children? I reached out to my pastor at church who knew two connections at two separate schools. One was Elizabeth Traditional, and one was Mary Oaks. And I went there and made connections with guidance counselors, principals, teachers, and they found children for me. And we all met together, met the parents And we started out here in Charlotte with about 12 students in 2014. And now we have grown to 32 one-on-ones here in Charlotte. And we graduated our first buddy last year out of high school. So how often do they, does everyone get together? Is it once a month? We meet once a month, September through June. We meet the second Sunday of the month. We meet for two and a half hours. We have lunch together. And then I provide some type of an activity. This month we did really minute paint by numbers, and we'll finish that up next month. But every month we try to I try to mix it up and do something different. But a, a craft activity where they're focused on an activity or a team building activity or a field trip. We're going to have the Soap Bubble Circus come in a few months. We're going to see a movie next month. Every year in November, we give each child a small portion of money, which they use to shop for other people. And then you write a thank you note back. And then in Christmas time, I have a family member that lives in McAdenville, Christmastown, USA. And we great place to live around Christmas time, right? We bring a whole school bus and he hosts us. Did did your contact give you tip you off about how to get in the back way? And yeah, we we know that we know that trick. Yep. (laughs) Well, and let us speak nothing more of it, right? Or the people of McAdenville will be very upset. (laughs) 
So the swimming part, though, it sounds like you had a hard time finding a pool. Here, we do take a field trip in June and go to Rama Swim Club. How so, did you do it in Connecticut? Did you have, Was there a pool at the school that you used? The place we used was a, uh, it was called the Sheehan Center, but it was like a recreational facility. And they had a gymnasium and a swimming pool. What type of study students are you trying to serve? Is it, can, can anybody sign up and participate? Or you, do you seek folks out who have a particular need? I focus, because that's where my passion lies, with the students that I taught for 27 years that are coming from an underserved community and at-risk situation. I, I really like to think that each one of us, and yourself, Steve, I could probably say, name three people that were influential in your life. And you could probably name them pretty quickly. And it's because of how they made you feel, you know, and it might not have been a, a mom or a dad or a grandparent or aunt or uncle. It was a coach. It was a mentor. It was, you know, a youth director. It was a family friend that really influenced your life. And I really figure that any child needs that person. Somebody to not just show an interest in you, but to express confidence in you and to instill confidence in you. Right. And sometimes it's it's better if that's somebody. It's an interesting relationship. You you're intentionally constructing this thing that you that an individual might happen to stumble into just by going to church or you know being lucky and having a good coach on a team or something like that. But what what you're creating is an environment where you're you're intentionally fostering a relationship with a mentor who is not a family member. And there's something specifically. Uh, close about that in the sense that I imagine a young person can open up and be, be honest and be real with somebody with it, where the, the relationship is not so laden with other expectations that you might have in other contexts. Right. And I appreciate you saying that too. And you said a key word too that was relationship is that this is really about relationship and developing that relationship. And the kids that I've had come through the program from nearly 30 years ago or are all in their 40s now, which is kind of scary to me. So I guess I just threw myself under the bus, didn't I, with the 40 over 40? <laughs> if they're 40, then how old am I? But but relationship is the key and developing that with them so that this child, this this student knows that there is somebody for there that, that is there specifically for me. You have recently devoted yourself to anti-racism work, and this is a subject that that became particularly important to you during COVID. Is that right? Yes, sir. I was I, I, I facilitated team building activities, and with COVID, that dried up. And so I was sitting, thinking, what do I do next? And I was purposely very still about listening to what, what am I being called to next? And that, for me, was anti-racism work. And I know our country got pretty fired up, as it should have been, with the George Floyd situation. And so my answer to that was, as a white woman, what can I do and what am I being called to do? And how can I be known to be an ally? And what would that look like? And so I, I've really delved into anti-racism work and what does that mean? And taken courses, one here in Charlotte, which is amazing, with that's called Confronting Whiteness with Ben Boswell, that who's developed it. I've taken the course. I've facilitated it four times. I've been to conferences podcasts, readings, listening, black authors, black cinema, black poets. There is so much to learn, and it's largely me teaching myself about what it means to be white. What sense has that given you about the future? Are, are, are you optimistic about the future, or are you concerned 
about where we sit now with respect to those things? I think I vacillate on that, but I tend to be optimistic in nature anyway. And so I tend to be very, very hopeful because every time I facilitate one of these courses, I come out of it realizing that we don't know what we don't know. And until we start educating ourselves, and I say we, I, I, in this situation, I'm largely referring to white individuals. We need to educate ourselves about what it means to be white. And that until that happens, I don't know that things will potentially change. But I am hopeful and I am optimistic that it will. Has it been a personal journey for you in addition to, I, I imagine there's an aspect of it that's sort of learning about how the world works and sort of opening your eyes to some of the structural realities that exist in our society that we have kind of taken for granted a lot, speaking as a fellow white person, but also a personal journey in terms of self-examination and reflection. Has it been that way for you? Deeply. This has been extraordinarily transformative to me personally, but also spiritually in a level that I could hardly even explain. Yes, I've learned a lot educationally through this, this experience, but it has personally changed me and transformed me to want to do better and be better and continue to educate myself as a white person so that I can be a force of change in my sphere of influence. I imagine it's humbling in a way, in a sense, because it, it, it's, it's always striking, I think, when, when you have a big realization, when you realize you've been missing something big for a long, long time, or you've been taking something for granted, and suddenly you realize, like, wow, there's this, <laughs> this is a whole other way of looking at something that I had not appreciated or understood or that I've always heard but never really understood the way that I do now. It's, in a sense, revelatory and wonderful to have that experience and think, oh, boy, isn't it great that I know more than I did before? But it's also a little bit unsettling to think, like, oh, boy, what else is out there? Like, what else is out there that I'm still missing? And uh, and I think a lot of folks have a tendency to to resist that type of learning or revelation in that way for exactly that reason, because there is an uncomfortable aspect to it, particularly when it comes to matters of race. Part of the quote, one of the quotes that I remember that jogs my memory right now with what you're saying is with James Baldwin, nothing can be changed until it's faced. So if we want to change things, we start. We have to start facing things. Well, you're certainly on that journey, and you're here with us in Charlotte. But unlike some, there are, believe it or not, there are some people who were born and raised in Charlotte. There are there are a few, and it's fun, and it's more and more all the time. I myself am not one of those. I moved here when I was 13 years old, but my kids are Charlotteans, right? And there's a whole generation it of counts. kids. Yeah, and so and and but you came to Charlotte as an adult. You came to Charlotte around the time of retirement. And so you have the perspective of coming to Charlotte from a different place as a fully, you know, a always learning person, but an adult person. And I wonder what your observations are of this place as somebody who's not from here, but now also has lived here a good long while as well and become part of the community. What do you think about Charlotte? What do you think about the future of Charlotte? Again, I'm hopeful. I love Charlotte. I didn't think I would love Charlotte this much. I'm originally from the South. I went to school in the South. I did my grad work in the South. I taught in the South for, th for three years before moving back to Connecticut for nearly 30. But Charlotte has been surprisingly, to me, diverse, more so than I thought, more open than I thought in regards to spectrum of sociologically, culturally, not just black, white, brown, but LGBTQ+, that the city has been much more open than I thought it would be, which is refreshing. So that bodes well, I think, that it can continue to be. However, I think 
there's since I, I see since a sense of separation amongst parts of Charlotte, and that's where to me the key is the relationship piece, engage engaging in genuine, authentic relationships, so that some of these changes that really have to happen can. How do you do it personally? I, I you do your work with Buddy Mentor. It sounds like you're a churchgoer, and yes, sir. part of a church community. Yes, sir. Uh, how else do you do that? How do you, how else do you do you consciously go out there and build relationships with your neighbors? That's a good one. I think I just try to be genuine and authentic in my approach and conversations. I'm taking some coaching right now with someone, and they they said to me specifically, "How would how would someone know that you're an ally?" And my response was, "Well, you know, I'm gonna be friendly and I'll talk to them." No, you're just being friendly. How are they gonna know you're an ally? What is what 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 is it gonna be about you that they're gonna know? And that really caused me to pause and think, like, how is that person gonna know? So I'm not gonna share my answer. I'll leave that kind of open ended for people to well, think Well, I'm sitting about here that. wondering, like, what's the right answer? You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a tough thing, particularly when it comes to now. Are you talking about anti racism work with with respect to the phrase well, of ally in that regard? Well, ally something? in regards to that, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But just entering into relationships is just eye contact, smiling. Hi, how are you doing today? Can I help you find something or can I do something for you? Yeah, that's well, now I'm sitting here pondering. You're not going to tell me the answer. <laughs> I guess, well, is it? it's an individual thing, right? I imagine probably it varies from person to person would be my guess. But it, it sounds like implicit in the question is a sort of challenge that you ought to be doing something to make that clear. To me, yes. Well, and you're not going to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I so I so it's an interesting thing because we, there there are ways of of doing it that it's it's hard to know as a white person engaged in the project of self-examination and tr- trying to be good and trying to learn and trying to be open-minded there are some things that you can do that come across there's a risk of coming across as really awkward or cringy or even getting it wrong in a way like getting it yeah tr- trying to be it's, there's a yeah, tr- trying to be so open-minded that you end up tripping over your own feet and being offensive in a way that you didn't intend, right? right. And so th- there's some probably uh, you could wear a, a button. <laughs> there you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> All right. There you go. So that's one of the ways of uh, sort of announcing yourself to the world, of, of being visible in a public way about the sentiment that you're um, that you support. Exactly. Whatever it is that you support. Mm-hmm. How is somebody going to know what it is you support? Or who you want to be, or who you are. Well, this is interesting because I'm I'm a person who, in my younger days, I drove a car that was covered in bumper stickers, right? And now I'm a person. And most <laughs> of these bumper stickers were really irreverent, like they're they're meant to be to to show off my cynicism and my uh, my musical tastes for sure, but also my sort of nihilistic world view, right? And now I don't have all of those same views and I still definitely have musical taste, but I don't have any bumper stickers on my car. And and I, I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with having bumper stickers on your car, but it there is there are two sides of declaring your allegiance in a way, right? Like there's you're you're identifying yourself, but there is a little bit of a tribal aspect of that as well that has that has a dark side, right? And I, I just wonder how you, you know, how you balance that. I try to balance it be, in a way that I don't want it to be offensive to anyone. You know, I'm just trying to be kind and generous and compassionate and loving in whatever it is I'm wearing or 
bracelets I may have on or a button I might put on or the bumper sticker. I'm not trying to be offensive. Right. But if it's a conversation starter, that's a great thing. Because isn't that how relationships start is in conversation? Well, and you know, while you're at it, if you believe something and you're right, then standing up for that isn't necessarily always going to be comfortable. And it isn't always meant to be comfortable. I, I remember, I, I think this is attributed to some philosophers through the ages. Maybe it may have been Buddha. I think it was Confucius. Anyway, it was one of them was asked by their student, the objective of the righteous man to be admired by all. And the answer was, no, it is not. The, the objective of the righteous man is to be admired by righteous men and to be despised by unrighteous men. Mm-hmm. And that really that hit me like a lightning bolt when I thought that like it's it's getting along with everyone is not always what it's all about, right? And that's a quote that I try to carry with me right now is I want to live as if I do have the power to radically transform the world. Well, Kimbo, <laughs> gotten a little heavy here on the, the Charlotte Ledger <laughs> podcast. Uh, thank you for going there with me. Uh, you are a winner of the Forty Over Forty Award, and. For someone who's, I, I was going to call you new to town, but you're not new to town. You've, you've been here for quite a while and you've accomplished quite a lot with Buddy Mentor and, and the other work that you're doing. But it is, you were over 40 when you came to Charlotte, right? Yes, and you're, <laughs> you're, you're the earliest buddies in the Buddy Mentor program are over 40 themselves now. Yeah. And so there are pros and cons of getting older. There are nice things about it and there are things about it that are a little bit aggravating. But one of the nice things about it is that you learn a bit over time and you accumulate experience. And hopefully, if you're thoughtful, you attain some measure of wisdom. And I, I wonder if you had an opportunity to speak to yourself. Back when you were first stud- starting the mm-hmm. Buddy Mentor Program, back in those days, you are a different woman then, right? And oh, yeah. I wonder what, what you've learned since then and what you would tell a, a younger version of yourself. Dream bigger. Dream bigger. That, just that... Dream bigger. Dream bigger. Dream bigger, love more. There you have it. Kimbo Bahannon, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Congratulations on being a Charlotte Ledger 40 over 40 winner. And thanks so much for being with me today on the podcast. Thank you, Steve. That's it for today. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. And you can find out more about our 40 over 40 awards at ledger40over40.com. Queen City Podcast Network.com.